Well, today's message is titled, Don't Let Go. And it's taken from Genesis 32, if you want to turn there. We're going to be reading from there in just a moment. And of course, this is Father's Day, but as I said during the announcements, it is not just a Father's Day message, but a message to men in general. And we're going to be looking at um, some events in the life of Jacob today. And Jacob is one of the most pivotal people in biblical history. Just to review who he was, he was the twin son of Isaac. His twin brother, Esau, was the old, technically the older brother by a few minutes. He came out first, Jacob grabbing his heel on the way out. And Esau was a man's man. He's a tough guy. He's one of these guys that was always out in the field. He's out doing you know, manly kind of things, building things, hunting things, all these kind of things. And he was kind of probably one of these big guys, kind of overbearing you know, one of these guys, that good salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. But, you know, the, the big guys, when they have brothers, can kind of be a little bit overbearing with the brothers. So Jacob reacted to this by hanging around his mom a lot. He hung out near the tents, hung out near the women. And because Esau cast such a big shadow in, you know, everywhere he went, that Jacob was kind of considered to be barely even there. So Jacob started to learn ways to get his own way uh, that were not really God-honoring. He started to learn to kind of manipulate things behind the scenes. He started to learn some trickery and some deceit and different things like that. And as I said, it was not God-honoring. And he began to use these things throughout his life with varying degrees of success until he came to the point one day where he found himself terrified on the side of the river facing what he thought was imminent death from his brother coming to kill him. And he's crying out to God for deliverance. And that's where we pick up the story here in Genesis 32, starting in verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all of the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. If only my staff when I I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, surely I will make Make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Skipping down to verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he said, answered. Then the man said, Your name will be no longer Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for its wisdom. We thank you for all the truth that it speaks into our lives. And I ask for that truth to speak deep into the lives of everyone here this morning, Father, but especially the men that you have ordained to be here this morning. Father God, bless your word as it goes forth. May it have much fruit. In your name, amen. You know, men, we have a tendency to live our lives a little bit crazy and a little bit insane. And you say, well, how can, how can I say that? Because we as men have a tendency to get into ruts of doing the same thing over and over again. And we have a tendency to live very cyclical lives. Like we, we do one thing, and then that, the obvious thing happens because of what we've done, and then we go back and do it again, and we do it again. And it's been said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result. And if we apply this idea to Jacob, he was caught in a lifestyle of essentially being a con man. That's what he was. He was a liar, he was a cheat, he was a deceiver, and he had this lifestyle, and he really didn't see a, need, a reason to change. But there was a problem here, and that is that God chose Jacob, this con man, to be the father of a new nation, a nation that was going to eventually bring forth the Messiah, Jesus. God needed a firm foundation in which to build his new nation on. And Jacob, at this point, did not have that character in his life to support that kind of a foundation. And as we look through Jacob's life, we see that Jacob really was a mess. He was just, <laughs> you would know this guy and you would just look at him walking down the street and you're just one of these guys that the entire community would look at him and just go, yeah, there goes Jacob again. He was a mess. Jacob was a mess. Now God had told Rachel, his mother, that even though Jacob was the second born and the younger brother, that he would be the one that God chooses to have fulfill the promise, the birth that the nation of Israel would come through. And Rachel begins to move a bit behind the scenes to make that happen. And we find out, and I don't know about you, but when God tells me that he's going to do something in my life and then I start to try to help him, that really starts to mess things up, doesn't it? I know it does in my life. And we see a couple of specific incidents in Jacob's uh, life where he, he tries to rely on his wit, he tries to rely on his cunning, and he, he tries to con people out of different things. And the first incident we can look at today is the incident with him essentially conning Esau out of his birthright. Now, because Esau was the older brother, he had certain birthrights uh, as the older brother that it, within the culture that he lived in meant a great deal. Now, the birthright in the Old Testament was everything in the family. The birthright meant that when the father died, the power of that family or the leadership of that family transferred to that eldest son. Not only did the, the power and the the influence over the family transferred, but he got a double portion of the inheritance. So when they were divvying up the flocks and divvying up the money and all that, automatically double portion went to the eldest son. So he was the one that would inherit the money, the power, and everything else that had to do with the, the father would go to him as the eldest son. And the birthright affected the entire future of that son as it belonged to him. 
Now, Esau is the older brother, and he's probably used to getting what he wants. Esau, as we see in the Bible, was a man ruled by his passions. And you can see what we're talking about in Genesis 25. Esau is a man, he's just really ruled by his passions. You can, you can see it throughout his life. He's the kind of guy, he's just, he's probably quick-tempered. He's, he's one of these guys that just, he wants it now, and that's just the way it is. You ever seen a toddler in a store that wants a, that wants a toy, and they'll sit there and they'll have a gigantic conniption with the mother just looking at them going, will you stop, you're making me look bad. Well, this is kind of Esau. The problem is that Esau is a lot older now, so he's a big toddler in a man's body. He's coming in from the fields. He's, kind of, he's starving. It's a bad hunting day. Fish weren't biting. Game weren't there. Probably in a bad mood. Hasn't eaten all day. Comes in, and he's like, wow, that smells good. I wonder what that is. He goes up, and Jacob... Learned how to cook from his mom. So Jacob's cooking up some great stew here. And he's like, hey, brother, give me some of that. Jacob's like, no, this is mine. You don't get any. He's like, I need it. I'm famished. I'm about to die. I mean, isn't that a little bit of an exaggeration? I mean, he's, he's, he's gone without food for a few hours, and he feels like he's going to die. And it just kind of shows the character of Esau here. And so Jacob said, yeah, sure. I'll tell you what. You can have some of this stew if you give me your birthright. Now, this is, a, this is a big deal. I mean, to us in, in the 21st century, that's like, oh, whatever. You know, it's a birthright. What's, what difference does it make? But as, I, as we've already seen, this is a pretty big deal. He's, he's essentially charging a million dollars for a, a couple spoonfuls of stew here. But Esau being Esau says, fine, fine, yeah. You know, I'm going to give all that up. I, I, I'm hungry. I want it now, and I'm not going to wait for mom to cook me something. I want to eat. I want to eat right now. So Esau gives up all of this, that double portion, that power, the, the right to, to run his family after his father dies. He gives all that up for a momentary satisfaction of his hunger. How many times, men, do we do that? Do we give in to a temptation in a moment and just sacrifice an entire future over it? How many times do we see that even in our culture? How many men give up the awesome destiny that God has for us because we never learn to govern our passions? How many times has that happened with us? How many men have we known that never learned to govern their passions and it totally destroys them? How many ministers have fallen and given up a whole future, gigantic megachurch that they built from three people up into like 5,000 people and they give it up for a 30-second romp with some woman? How many times has that happened? So it's not just the Esau in the Bible, it's us today that we can be, fall just like Esau did here. A second incident was that Jacob stole the blessing. Now the blessing, you can see this in Genesis 27, the blessing was given by a father to a son. And it was a transference of the Abrahamic blessing that was given to Abraham. And it went from father to eldest son, father to eldest son. And it was a big deal. It was an actual transference of anointing, of power, of influence, and that entire promise of Abraham to the, um, the eldest son. So this is, this is as big of a deal as the birthright. 
It was also a prayer and a final charge from a father to his son to be honorable and to follow after God. It was a prophetic in that the father would declare things over his son that weren't even in existence yet. And it was prophetic saying, God, as, as a holder of that Abrahamic covenant, I am speaking this into my child's life and I want that promise to be there for my child. Now Jacob already had the birthright. Esau swore a vow. And Esau was going to fulfill that vow. He already had the birthright, but he goes and try and steals the blessing by deceit. Now Esau, understandably, is enraged by this. He is furious that Jacob took this away from him. Understandably. I mean, he already had the birthright. I mean, Esau's thinking, he's probably thinking, you know. I'm my own man. I, I don't need my father's flocks. I don't need his money. I don't need to be in charge of my family. I'm my own man. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to become famous in my own right. I don't need that stuff. I can, I can live on my own. But the blessing of my father meant everything to him. And Jacob took that away from him. So Esau sits there and starts plotting. He goes, as soon as my father's dead, you're following with him. Jacob, you're done. I'm going to wait because I'm not going to bring more tears to my father right now. But when he dies, you're going to follow him into the grave. I'm going to kill you too. So Jacob runs. He's, he's, he's afraid, scared, scared, runs for his life. And he runs from facing the consequences of his actions. Man, how many times do we do that in our life? Do we try to run from consequences in our lives? But I want to show you that even during the running, God is there. Jacob's running for his life, runs all the way to Bethel, takes a nap, puts his head on a rock, and he has a dream. Genesis 28, starting in verse 12. Jacob has a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I give, to, I give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. Men, get that in your heart. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God assures Jacob that the promise that God gave Abraham over a hundred years ago is going to start being fulfilled in his life. Even though he wasn't necessarily ready for it, even though he wasn't ready to receive this promise, God is going to start preparing him to receive it. God does that in our own life. He gives you a promise. He shows you a future, but oftentimes there comes a time of preparation that has to happen for you to be able to function and survive in that promise in a way that glorifies God. So as part of this preparation, God leads him into the lands of the east, and he finds a distant relative named Laban. Jacob sees one of Laban's daughters, 
Rachel and makes a deal with Laban that, hey, if I work for you for seven years, can I marry her? Can that be my dowry? I'm going to work for you cost-free for seven years if I can have Rachel as my wife. And so Laban says, yep, I'm going to do that. And so the, Jacob works those seven years, and it says in the Bible that it didn't even seem like it was seven years. It just seemed like it was a day because he just was so in love with Rachel and so looking forward to being married to her. And on the night of their wedding, Laban cons the con man. He tricks Jacob into marrying Leah. I don't know how that happened, but I don't know if he got him a little bit drunk because I guess Leah was the ugly sister. I don't know. I don't know. I guess men, just tell your sons, or if you ever become married again, make sure you lift up that veil just to check. But, you know, I'm just saying, make sure you're marrying the right woman. But he cons the con man here, doesn't he? And he tricks him into marrying the sister that he didn't want, and then forces Jacob to work seven more years for Rachel. But why would God allow his chosen person to be tricked like that? You ever wondered that? Why would God allow that? Didn't that seem to be pretty mean? I mean, if you think about it, it's like, God, you know, I'm supposed to be your chosen. You're supposed to bless the entire world and all future generations because of me. And you trick me over something really, uh, over something like this. And I've, ever, I've noticed in my own life and the lives of others that I've been friends with and, and been around that, that the very weakness or sin that you struggle with can be the very thing that God uses to discipline you. I notice that in my life, uh, around the firehouse, there has a tendency to be a lot of uh, trash talking. And it's just basically because it's generally a bunch of guys and you know we're all trying to one-up each other and all that. And you can, I remember that God was convicting me about it and you know, some guy had heard that I had said something about him, and he came and confronted me about it. And, you know, there's no, nothing worse than when you get caught and stuff like that, because then you have to apologize and humble yourself and all that. And, and I noticed that, you know, God, it was something that he was dealing with me at that time, will be the very thing he uses to discipline me, to show me that of why this is bad. And I think he was doing this in Jacob's life to show him, you know, you can't, you can't use deceit to get ahead, Jacob, and say you're going to honor me. You can't lie and, say, and use that to try to get ahead and then try to and say that I'm blessing you. You have to do things according to the way I do them, not the way that you do them, because I don't need your help. I don't need your help, Jacob. And so he uses this, this very experience with Laban to try to break through his, his thick skull and help him realize this. But Jacob, kind of hard-headed, you know, he doesn't get the hint. And he goes on later to trick Laban out of a huge percentage of his flocks and depends on a superstition to do it instead of God. So God has to use something drastic to get his attention. And that brings us back to the events of Genesis 32 that we read in the beginning. God brings Jacob to the point of having to break him and break him hard. Now we remember that Esau is coming. The last thing Jacob knows about Esau is Esau wants him dead. Period. 
And if we pull back the curtain on the spiritual realm, we can see that Esau represents several things to Jacob. And we can see how Esau can represent several things in our own life. And the first one is that Esau represents the past catching up with Jacob. There's nothing that a con man fears more than this, and that, or anyone that is in sin fears more than this, is that having your past catch up with you. And sooner or later, the Bible promises that your sin will find you out, particularly if you refuse to repent from it. Sooner or later, grace runs out. And I'm not necessarily talking about the grace of Jesus. I'm talking about God's forbearance and allowing you to get away with this. He wouldn't be God and he wouldn't be a loving father if he allowed you to continue to be shackled to this thing. So he has to bring discipline into your life. And that is what Esau is representing here, is that past catching up with him. And Jacob has never repented. He's never even probably thought in his mind that he's sorry about what he did to I to Esau until this point, and now he's shaking in his boots. Esau represents everything that holds Jacob's back, is holding Jacob back right now from God's promise. And most of all, it's his pride. Jacob probably thinks, as most con men and even most men at times, is that, you know, I'm pretty much smarter than everybody else. I'm slick, I'm smooth, I can pull wool over anybody's eyes. I can hide this, I can, I can just make this go away. I, I, you know, nobody will find out. I'm, I'm smart enough to do that. And this happens in our own lives when we've gotten away with sin for too long. Jacob's got away with this for way too long in his life. And God is bringing him now to a, a time of having to deal with it. And when we've gotten away with sin too long, when we've allowed it in our lives, when we've refused to bend a knee to God in these situations, we start to think that we're an exception to the rules. That, oh, and we start to spiritualize it. Have you ever heard of, of people refer to a sin as a cross they have to bear? Or some ridiculous thing? Or this is just the thorn in my flesh that God uses to keep me humble. And they try to, they try to excuse their sin like that. But God doesn't put sin in our lives to keep us humble. He doesn't allow exceptions to his word. He says, be holy as I am holy. God is here to destroy sin, not allow it to continue to hinder you. And this is where Jacob's at. He's, he's, he, he's ignoring the prods of God. He's ignoring the voice of God. He's ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And eventually, though, if you continue to resist, he's going to have to pick you up. He's going to have to shake you and say, listen, Listen, you need to turn from this. Stop it. Stop running away from it. Because Esau represents the reckoning that is coming because of his sin. Now Jacob can represent here either the men or the women of God, but I want to focus on the men just for a moment. It's Father's Day. Jacob had plenty of time to repent and plenty of time to change his ways. You say at least 14 years, if not almost 20 by this point. He wanted the promise so bad that was Esau's that he stole it. But he didn't want the responsibility of that theft. 
And he didn't, he didn't have the character to carry the promise that he so desperately desired. This is why character is more important than education, by the way, in spiritual leadership. Character means more. And God is going to remove behind the scenes to bring you full circle to confront those things you're running from. He's going to continue to bring you back. And a lot of times he's going to continue to bring you back right to that same point that you keep stumbling in. I remember when I was in the military, I had a problem running distance. In high school, in sports and all that, I was a great sprinter. I could, I could blow the pants off of just about anybody in high school sprinting. I was really, really fast in football, wrestling, track, whatever. I was really, really good at running really fast for a short distance of time. But when it got to about over 100 meters, 150 meters, I was just start, I would start gassing out. And I didn't know how to run. And for one reason or another, my group of, of basic trainees were in what's called the reception station before you move to basic training for a little bit of extra time. And I had a drill sergeant take me and a couple other people who couldn't run distance out to a track. And he would teach us how to run appropriately. And and not try to like just sprint out ahead and, and gas yourself, but to, to slowly but surely uh, continue to run and do it with the right form. And I remember I would, you know, I already know how to run. What do I need to listen to this guy for? And I'd be running, I'd be gasping by the time I made that first lap. And I'd be like, and he look at me and he goes, you're going to keep running until you run like I told you to run. Take another lap. And isn't it like that with God? He has us just sometimes take another lap in life until we get to that point of obedience to what he is telling us to in that point, and you're just going to keep making laps, just like the children of Israel in the desert. If you pace out there or put it on a map of the exact, uh, the exact routes that they took to the desert, they just kept taking laps, coming back to a point of obedience, failing, so they had to take another lap, fail, take another lap, fail, eventually you're going to get to the point where you get sick of failing and you're going to want to pass it. And he has, and that's where Jacob is right now. He's been running in circles his entire life, trying to do everything he can in his own strength to get out of this hole he's dug for himself. And now he has no other alternative but to face his past, face his issues, and finally face his God about all this kind of things. And faced with this, Jacob's response, I won't let go. Jacob at this point in his life has been stripped of everything. He has no other hope but to turn to God at this point. No other hope for his family, no other hope for his children, no other hope for his flocks, his property, his blessing, the promise. No other hope but to finally turn to God. His cleverness isn't going to get him out of this. His, his skill at deceiving people isn't going to get him out of, uh, away from Esau. He has no other choice to turn to God. And men, I would ask you, and, and women here also, is that what it's going to take to, for God to get through to you also? Does he have to bring us to that point of having no other choice, of losing everything, to finally come back to him. Because I want to tell you, as your pastor, you have an Esau in your life that's coming. 
every single one of us, if we have something in our lives that we're not turning over to God. Men, I want you to rise just for a moment. And I want to tell you guys some, a couple of things in love here. Men, you're not smart enough to do this without God. Because your Esau is coming. Men, you don't have tomorrow to get right with God. Because your Esau is coming. I also want to tell you that your future has been on hold long enough because your Esau is coming. If you have children, they need you to lead them because they also have Esau's in their life that are coming. Your children need you to model Christ, even if they're out of your homes right now, because they have their own individual Esau's that are coming and they need somebody to look to. We need some men here to grab hold of Christ and say, I am not letting go. God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And if that blessing means it's a disciplinary thing with you, so be it, God. I want your character. I want your holiness. I want your power to be present in my life. Because if you're going to ask for the blessing... You also have to ask for the limp because he's going to take care of your pride. He's going to take care of the right you think you have to your life. He's going to take care of that right you think you have to your free time. He's going to take that, that right you think you have to your finances, your possession, your will. But you have to get to that point where you say, you can have it, God, because I am not letting you go until you bless me. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you're interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.